In today's message, Glory to Glory, Stephanie Teen exhorts believers, consecrate yourself to God and He will do amazing things within you and through you. This is Awaken Online, a virtual library of the Sunday morning messages at Awaken Church. I'm excited to be a part of what God's doing today and pray that I will effectively communicate what I feel the Lord has shown me. Like Dean said, Monty actually started this sermon and since the two shall become one, I'm here instead. While I was on my walk yesterday morning, I felt like I was listening to an audible book by John Eldridge called Resilient, which I highly recommend. And it felt like there was a lot of truth in that that went along with what Munty had been talking about and preparing for. And so it felt like this fire in the pit of my stomach to kind of go along with it. So if it sounds kind of like two sermons, it kind of is. But we're going to start in Joshua chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. It says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So a little history. Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt, right, and through the wilderness for 40 years. Joshua had been Moses' aid and seed, decades worth of miracles, the miracles of God under Moses' leadership. Then, as they came to the end of the 40 years in the wilderness, they were again without water in the desert. Moses went to God. God gave him really specific instructions about how to get that water, and Moses disobeyed. And his punishment was that he would get to see the promised land, but not get to enter it. In the beginning of Joshua, chapter 1, God tells Joshua that Moses has died, and he's now in charge of leading the nation into the promised land. Would anybody else feel a little intimidated? Yeah, I would. Perhaps that's why God told him to be strong and courageous like three times within a span of just a few sentences. (laughs) We know this was not an easy task he had been assigned to. This was a major transition of leadership and a transition from wandering in the desert to taking the promised land. What did it take to be successful in this journey for both Joshua and the Israelites, and how does this relate to us today? Well, let's go back and look at our scripture. Verse 1 says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. So this tells us they positioned themselves for obedience. Right? We need to position ourselves for obedience. Commentaries show that this crossing was during harvest season, which is when the river is at flood stage. So they couldn't get the whole nation safely across the river on their own, but they knew from experience that God could. So they set themselves up for quick obedience when God moved. In verse 2, it says, After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. So they waited on the Lord's timing. Right? We have to obey, take the steps we can, but then we wait on the Lord's timing. And they waited three days. There's biblical significance and an ancient pattern around new life and covenants happening on the third day. 
Some examples include the creation story in Genesis. A teaching by the Bible Project points out that the creation story in Genesis is written like a poem with repetitive statements and um, parallels. And within the rhythm of these repetitions, two events in the creation narrative stand out as significant, each happening at three-day intervals. On the first third day, God made dry land appear and causes vegetation to come up out of the earth, plants yielding seeds and trees bearing fruit, right? Signifying new life. The second third day event happens on the sixth day when God creates animals and human beings. Reminiscent of the first third day, the passage says that the earth will bring forth living creatures. That's a sign of new life with which he created his first covenant. Jonah was in the belly of a well for three days before he was uh, resurrected. (laughs) Jesus referenced Jonah when talking about his resurrection, which was also three days after his death and was the beginning of a new covenant. There are other examples that would be fun to study, but we're going to go back to Joshua. Verses 3 and 4 read, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. So they focused on the presence of God for direction and guidance. For the Israelites, the presence of God was seated on the Ark of the Covenant. So we're going to take a minute to remember what the Ark symbolizes. In summary, the Ark contained the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments given to Moses, uh, the rod, Aaron's rod that budded, and manna from heaven. Uh, The Ark was made of shatim, or acacia. Does that sound familiar? It's where Joshua was encamped. That shatim means the acacia grove, right? So the ark was made of this acacia wood and then covered with gold. And the golden lid had carved cherubim on each side, and in between the cherubim is where God and his presence would dwell. That was known as the mercy seat. And when the Israelites camped, they would put the ark behind a veil in the tabernacle. When the temple was built, it was placed in the Holy of Holies behind a large thick veil, right, that only one priest was allowed to enter into once a year to make the atoning sacrifice. And he had to have a rope tied around his belly, so if he died, the other priest could pull him back out. They had to consecrate themselves before entering to do this job because God is holy and cannot be in the presence of sin, which is why he viewed the Israelites through that mercy seat where the blood of the atoning sacrifice had been placed. Throughout human history, God's desire has been to be with or to dwell among his people in their environment, in their situation. This is seen in Genesis when God walks with them in the cool of the garden. Jacob wrestled with him. He met with Moses face to face. And of course, Jesus came and lived as Emmanuel, God with us. That's what we just celebrated, right? At the death of Jesus, that veil that hid the Holy of Holies was ripped into from top to bottom, and his presence was no longer confined, so to speak. We have direct access to God and have been made priests. He now makes his home in our hearts, just like what Dean was talking about this morning. And we are viewed through the atoning blood of Jesus and his mercy, if you've invited him in. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? 
and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. You guys awake? You yourselves are God's temple. Your hearts are God's temple. Right? Colossians 1.27 says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, he shows his desire to be among his people in Revelation 21, which talks about the new heaven and the new earth being created. And in verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is like a restoration of what Eden was meant to be. Now, Satan has attempted to destroy every dwelling of God. Eden, the ark, was captured multiple times. The temple where his glory would fill the place was destroyed. And now that our hearts are God's dwelling place, he is working hard to cause desolation, hopelessness, numbness, disappointment, disillusionment, poverty of spirit, We're going to come back to that. (laughs) Let's go back to Joshua at the River of Jordan for a few minutes. So they were focusing on God's presence for direction and guidance, right? Which meant that they were not to focus on the river or the obstacles. They were focused on God. And obeying his direction. We too have a call to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? It's Hebrews 12. And when they keep their eyes on the presence, they will know which way to go, it says. They didn't have to guess, right? It's like spiritual GPS. Without proper directions, we become confused and lost, wandering and wondering. They needed to see where God was leading them because this was not the same place they'd been wandering for 40 years. This is some place they had not been before. Are we comfortable with where we've been? Or are we willing to let God lead us into new places? We've never been through 2023 before, and we don't know what this road holds. God is outside of time and omniscient, so I want to follow his map. <laughs> he knows where he's going. In verse 5, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. That sounds like faith and confidence. right? What made him so confident? What strategies did he have? Well, he meditated on Scripture. God told Joshua in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Sounds like a good deal, huh? (laughs) need to meditate on this stuff. It's good. If we meditate on his word day and night, talk about it when we rise up and when we sleep, share it with our children, post it in our homes and keep it on our lips, And do not deviate to the right or to the left. We too will be successful in the important aspects of this life. The Bible is meant to be feasted on. It's also our sword. 
It is life-giving and life-protecting. It is not meant to be a snack when it's convenient or twisted to appease what makes us feel comfortable. In addition to the written word of God, Joshua had some direct promises given to him about this particular mission. Again, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 3 says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. He also told Joshua in verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And verse 6, he was said, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. If you heard that from the Lord, would you feel confident? I would feel pretty confident. What words from the Lord have you received? Do you need a specific word for this time? He still speaks. Ask him. Or ask others to pray with you for that. Finally, they were told to consecrate themselves. What does that mean to be consecrated? The definition is to be set apart, right? Made holy. They had to prepare themselves to be clean vessels for the Lord to use as he did his great and wonderful deeds. Joshua and the Israelites stood apart from every other nation as God's people. They had some specific ways of showing it in their time, including circumcision, not eating certain foods, and following the Ten Commandments. What does it look to be, what does it look like to be set apart for God today? Does it make you uncomfortable to look or act differently than others? There are several verses that we have looked at before about ridding ourselves of things like what the Bible talks about with drunkenness, slander, gossip, orgies, unforgiveness, bitterness, rage, malice, and all other forms of evil, and instead trying to attain a spirit of unity. That would certainly look different than the world today, wouldn't it? And what if God was able to use us in some mighty ways because of it? Matthew 10.22 says, You will be hated by everyone because of me but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's a promise for us. It's a lot easier to stand firm if you have a unified group to stand with. All of the strategies Joshua used led to confidence and faith in the Israelites, while across the Jordan River, the Canaanites were melting with fear, it says several times in chapter 2. Did this make their lives a cakewalk? No. They still had to do battles and drive out the enemy, but they knew which battles the Lord wanted them to take on, and they were assured of victory. Like I mentioned before, we have an enemy that comes to still kill and destroy. He wants to rob us of our joy and destroy the Lord's temple where his presence can take up residence in the earth, which, as we covered before, is our hearts. If we could physically see what was after us, we would pay much closer attention to the voice of our shepherd and want to be right next to him to make sure we could keep our eye on him and make sure he had his eye on us so if anything tried to attack us, he could deal with it quickly, right? However, many of us, especially in this aftermath of so many different long-term collective traumas from COVID and politics and race issues and all kinds of things right now, we're just feeling worn out. 
feeling kind of blank, hopeless, disillusioned, and many are feeling tempted to walk away from God. We just want our lattes and our sweats. (laughs) Jesus warned that as we come to the last days, there will be a turning away of many. Matthew 24, 12 through 13 says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Sound familiar? (laughs) He said it multiple times. It requires supernatural grace to overcome the battle for your heart. The good news is that you don't have to try to drum that up for yourself. It is the life-giving, life-sustaining, regenerative power of God that you are meant to be filled with. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The more time we spend with him, the more he can restore that Eden type of relationship and glory in our hearts. So I want us to pray together for this this morning. Will you join me in prayer? Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for your written word, for your spoken word, and for your desire to dwell among us. Thank you for the ways that you have protected us, guided us, and corrected us. Please forgive us of our sins. We ask that in this coming year, you would teach us as individuals and as the body how to set ourselves apart for you. We submit ourselves to your direction and stand ready to obey. Drive out the darkness of hopelessness, despair, and desolation from your temple in our hearts and fill us with your life-giving joy-filled, regenerative power. Fill us with the fruit of the Spirit. Teach us how to live fully and unashamedly for you, how to live in unity with one another. Let us be restored and renewed daily by the river of life flowing from your throne. Reveal your deep love and truth to us and take us from glory to glory. Give us the strength we need to stand firm until the end. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Awaken Church, please visit our website, awakenmac.com. That's A-W-A-K-E-N-M-A-C dot C-O-M.